0: Morning, everybody. My name is Una Gilvari, and I'm the uh, Chief Technical Officer in uh, Healthcare Formed HCI. Um, and hopefully, in the next half hour, a little bit more, maybe we'll have a. Uh, I'm going to have a little. Well, maybe not a chat, we might not be able to facilitate too much chatting but I'm going to hopefully present you uh, with the HICWA Fire Safety Handbook and some of the understandings I've come to in relation to the handbook and and the requirements that relate to it that we'll all be facing uh, into. Um, as I said, we've been running these webinars now for a number of months. So those of you who've been, who joined us before, you know that HCI and you, you may have heard of uh, our, our work previously, where the, the leading professional services provider in, regular, in resident safety, regulatory compliance and quality improvement intelligence. So we have a number of quality and safety specialists from various um, healthcare backgrounds. And we uh, we work with, with a number of clients on the ground and remotely and support them uh, with uh, direct care applications and also in software provisions. My own areas in relation to best practice. So um, within our department, we're very much focused on new uh, regulation, legislation and guidance that is coming through and ensuring that our uh, clients have the tools and techniques that they need to be able to ensure compliance with person-centered focus in relation to care provision. OK, so we have quite an amount to get through today. So I'm, I'm going to be moving quite quickly. So I suppose what I wanted to talk about, first of all, is why we are here at all or how has this guidance come to be or why is it the, the primary focus? And I know for those of you who have looked at the at the the, uh, the handbook as it stands, there's a number of case studies incorporated within it, um, and it highlights a number of those uh, in relation to, to Rose Park and, and some other tragedies that occurred across the UK. Um, But I suppose I just wanted to pull up one section of it um, in relation to the Rose Park care home that was in 2004 in the UK where 14 residents died in a blaze, but specifically in relation to the inquiry. Again, the focus was on the management and the management of fire safety was systematically and seriously defective as it was found and the deficiencies in the management of the fire safety was found to contribute directly to the deaths. They felt that management did not have proper appreciation of its role and responsibilities in relation to the issues of fire safety. So I suppose those of you who would have joined us previously last month, we talked a lot about IPC and IPC governance and the development of IPC within our residential uh, facilities. And now I suppose we're looking for the same approach or application in relation to fire safety, that it is uh, an overall governance approach an overall um, Culture that we're looking to incorporate deeper within our residential uh, facilities, where everyone has allocated and recognized roles and responsibilities within that. And we want to look at putting a program together that is not just an isolated group of tasks in relation to fire, that we have a singular approach and program to fire safety within our residential home. And that's really what the handbook, handbook is all about trying to drive but let's just have a look really i suppose at the start to see you know where where it was all coming from we had those number of tragedies um obviously that were highlighted uh, they're also within the case studies but if, if we look back, we can see that fire safety was always a concern in relation to HICWA. It was always something we do a lot of reviews of, of what's hot right now in relation to issues or non-conformances that are coming through in HICWA inspection reports. And fire safety was always there thereabouts in relation to the level of non-compliance, quite high numbers in relation to it. I just wanted to pull out a few of the findings specifically that uh, HICWA have found quite recently in relation to fire safety and, and, and regulation. 28 specifically, so they found adequate arrangements had not been made for detecting and containing fires or issuing fire warnings. Uh, They had problems in relation to the designated escape route was being impeded by office furniture. They felt that the inspector was not assured of fire safety arrangements that they were adequate to to ensure prompt safe and effective evacuation of residents in a case of fire. So we had issues with fire doors being held open with chairs, laundry trolleys uh, in the swing of the doors and and oxygen cylinders being out of date and and not being maintained appropriately. Some other areas, again, focusing on that means of escape and, and that uh, an alternative escape route was required in relation to evacuation of residents who have to go flights of stairs and down uh, and down another. And again, this, the centre was provided with two separate unlinked fire detection and alarm systems. They felt the alarm panels and bells were not interconnected and that there was an in, a reliance on internal phones to raise the alarms. They felt there, again, improvements were required with a review of the dependency levels of residents accommodated on the first floor, particularly particularly at night. So we can see there is a, 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 con- a consistency and a development in relation to the focus and concerns from HICWA. And I know that a number of residential homes, uh, being the, ma- the nature of the beast, have premises issues and I suppose that would lend itself to issues in relation to fire safety so it's no surprise I suppose that the particular focus from HICWA was down this route. I'm not going to go into detail in relation to fire legislation because uh, it it really is a quagmire of stuff. This is just the appendix four on the handbook which you can see there are reams and reams and reams of legislation in relation to, to fire safety. But what I wanted to look at, I suppose, particularly is our building blocks uh, if, we, if we have a more f- focused approach from, from residential care. So at that base, we have the Fire Surface Acts, the Building Control Acts, the, the Safety, Health and Welfare Act. And then we have our SI415, which really contains a lot of detail uh, in relation to f- fire safety precautions and requirements in that regard. The standards then on top of it's quite light in relation to fire safety. There's not a huge number of specifics in it. And again, I think that was a key driver in relation to this fire safety handbook, because they really felt it needed a much more beefier model uh, to provide the guidance that we require uh, in relation to the provision of services. So let's look at this handbook. um, And I would say, It is probably it is something that I had, had taken a, a, a big chunk of time for myself to go through and to really get a thorough understanding of it. Each section standalone is quite easy to understand, but what was difficult was to look at the overall approach for fire safety and how it would sit together within modules within residential care. And again, I'm going back to the IPC uh, model where the COVID-19 assurance framework has really given us a beefier model in forms of governance and then the fallout from that. Again, we looked at that approach uh, in relation to the application of the Fire Safety Handbook. Before I look at the model, and we have some diagrams that I hope will help you to get an overall understanding of the content in in the Fire Safety Handbook. There's two key things I wanted to bring up. Number one is that they have met it, they have detailed it from the outset that if a provider fails to routinely review the ever-changing fire safety needs of residents, the provider will not comply with the fire precaution requirements and the regulations made under the Health Act. So, you know, where we do a big blast of review where we put in controls and, and, and precautions, and then they're allowed to sit and not be maintained in line with not only the changing regs and guidance, but also in relation to the changing needs of our residents, they're going to have a serious issue in relation to that. So they are really putting the pressure on to ensure that we approach it as an ongoing measure. This isn't a one-off, this is an annual programme of continuous review that it's going to require. So that's that's number one in relation to, to, to our approach for fire safety that I can draw from it. The second thing is uh, in relation to their, uh, and they've made it clear that due to the technical nature of some of the regulations, the provider may need to advise may need the advice of a competent fire safety professional to ensure that fire safety compliance is being achieved and is regularly being reviewed. And I think that's really important. That today's webinar, we're going to very much look at the handbook and, and what the structure is required, the specifics of what uh, is required within each of your individual organisations is very specific to those organizations. And that kind of guidance really requires that engagement of a competent fire safety professional. And they're looking for a contracted, ongoing relationship with an individual uh, that can provide that advice and guidance because your your, your evacuation strategies, your, your evacuation policies and procedures, uh, the, the key identification of risks, really that requires the support of a fire safety professional. So although this will give you an an idea of what they're looking for, the specifics must be individualized and you will require the support of that additional professional support. Quite like with the IPC, you know, where we had to draw in IPC um, uh, expertise externally uh, when when we were under extreme uh, uh, pressure. They're looking for to draw that in initially and then build it up internally and incorporating roles and responsibilities uh, within uh, that specific to fire safety throughout the organization. Now there's a lot of big black blocks and I apologize it's not very uh, user friendly but this is the best way that I could try and and illustrate to you um, what we feel are the building blocks in relation to the approach for a fire safety management program and I've put in an annual fire safety management program because again bearing in mind uh, that requirement for continuous and ongoing review in relation to it. So up at the very top, no surprise to anybody who knows uh, HCI, you will see that we have that governance model. Um, And Because as we all know, for anything to be effective, it cannot be pushed from the bottom up. We need to be able to draw the requirements, push them down. They have to come from the top down. So they're looking for leadership. To come from the senior management and to ensure that fire safety and, and the culture of fire safety is being driven throughout and we're going to look at um, what that means. And then we're going to look in the next few minutes at each of these little building blocks and, and, and just assess what's the best approach uh, or some consideration certainly for yourself as you move forward. But just I suppose from the outset, um, what are What is the aims of the program? So it, within a residential facility, we've identified we need a fire safety management program. So what are we trying to achieve? So we're trying to help um, ensure that everyone within the residential home is safe from the risk of fire, number one, that we're meeting all the regulatory requirements, that we're driving continual improvement, and we're embedding fire safety culture. So as an RP our PIC, in, with our, throughout the senior management team, These have to be our four pillars of focus when we're developing this fire safety management program. Again, obviously that central folk, person-centered care. And then from that, those legal requirements, the continual improvement and driving the fire safety culture. It now has to become an approach that this is the way that we provide care. This is part and parcel of our day-to-day roles and responsibilities and activities. We don't have to even think twice about it. So let's look at this governance model and what 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 is entailed uh, from from the overall uh, from from that top-down approach. Well, not surprisingly, uh, the register provider uh, is being allocated with overall responsibility for fire safety in the center. Now that's nothing new. I mean that that that's driven from from the SI also. But what do we expect to see? Well, we expect to see a significant amount of detail in the ORP's job description. Detailing specifically the roles and responsibilities that they will have in relation to fire safety. And that's not just referencing out the SI or, or the sections of the standard, but also in relation to how they're going to drive fire safety culture within the organization through the, the, the driving this, the, 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 the program itself, how they're going to implement it, how they're going to support it and the engagement that they're going to have on an ongoing basis. They're going to expect to see that a a multidisciplinary team, I've called them the multidisciplinary risk management team, you could call them, it depends on what teams you have within your organisation, but they're expecting to see a, a particular team to take on the role of supporting the RP in the application of their roles and responsibilities in relation to fire safety. And they expect to see that detailed within the terms of reference and the agendas that they're rolling on on an ongoing basis. They're expecting that the top senior management team have an overall uh, uh, ongoing review of the fire safety activities. And again, that that's reflected in the terms of reference and agendas of that team. And again. Going back to that engaging the services of a competent fire safety professional, they're expecting to see somebody that has the capability and the experience to advise and support the centre on the application of this annual programme we want to put in, and that it's reflective of resident and staff needs, and they're expecting to see a contractual engagement in place for that individual. Other things that would illustrate a culture of fire safety is that we would be considering fire within our strategic and operational plans and that the funding and budgeting is considerate of the associated costs related to it. And then if we look down on the lower levels, again, looking at driving that culture out in relation to fire safety, they would expect to see individual roles and responsibilities given to all staff members and that it's part of all of their job descriptions. Fire safety is all of our jobs, like quality, like IPC now. They do expect to see fire safety to be central to that. And within IPC, they expect to see that also within the the staff uh, performance reviews. So why not the same application in relation to fire safety? So that's the governance. As I said, this is a whistle-stop tour. We could spend a whole day training specifically on, on, on the governance model. But that's just to give you an oversight of the, of the areas of looking at. I want to talk briefly about the operational review. And this is a, a significant section within, um, within the, the, the handbook. So what is it? This really is an overall like a gap analysis or assessment of the, the the center's design and layout. And they expect this to be done obviously if you have a new building or you're making conversions, but they also expect to see it if you're doing an overall review of the fire fire precautions in relation to the existing residential home. So if you feel that there is areas or gaps or this, you know that you're not confident in relation to the to to the 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 requirements and how they're being applied, they expect you to complete this operational review where you really do A whole kit and caboodle review of the requirements and see how far from the mark you are. They expect that this process should be supported by the fire safety professional. Obviously they're coming with their own experience and we're looking to to, to draw that out as part of our operational review. Obviously it needs to consider all of the relevant safety guidance and codes of practice to ensure that those fire precautions are in place and if they're not we need to have that detail because that's going to be utilised um, as, as we move move down the line in this programme. Uh, it has to include detailed consideration for planning about evacuation of residents and then all of this will come to an operational review report. So this is really our starting point. This operational review report will say these are the requirements, this is where you are, this is what needs to be done. To try and address uh, the requirements, and we're going to be using that information as part of our evacuation strategy and the overall program, the overall program in the actions that need to be done. So that, that that's a, that's a a starting point for many organisations. Once we have that operational review done, we're then moving towards completing a fire safety risk assessment, and this is again. A lot of this will take place as part of that operational review, but it's about identifying fire hazards specific to your organization and evaluating the risks that arise in relation to those. Again, we're looking for the support from that fire safety professional, but obviously in conjunction with the RP and, and, and the senior management team as required. There's a lot of text on this, but what I wanted to show you is they detail the specific Stages they expect to see within this risk assessment, uh, um, and and those of you who would have uh, seen any of our, our our work before, it looks remarkably like a risk register that we would have seen, you know, that would be that that, that most of you would be utilising throughout your organisations. So we can use that uh, risk register format to break down the fire assessment. Um, that that's required looking at those current controls then allocating a risk level looking at additional controls that are required allocating responsibility status and then re-risk rating again so although it it sounds a little bit different in relation to the fire safety risk assessment it really is a standalone risk register is is, is how i would look at it in 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 re- in relation to it and again the 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 impact and um, the impact and the likelihood and and the risk ratings, again, I've pulled the ones out from the HSE risk management framework, but it's the same format of application. So once again, we when we have that risk assessment completed, we know what our controls are, we know how far off the mark we are, and that we need additional controls. We're going to again be using that information as part of our fire safety program and the actions. Listing that's required as part of that. So we're building up the model as we move down. We have for governance, we've done an operational review, we've done a risk assessment. So, what's the next thing? Well, within that risk assessment, we would have identified yeah, well, we have particular precautions in place. We have an awful lot of controls in place. So, our job is to make sure that the controls that we do have are incorporated into our standard policies and procedures and that we're confident that they are being implemented and that they are being rolled out. So wherever we have for our waste management or smoking, whatever the case may be, if we feel, oh yeah, we have those controls in place, number one are our policies and procedures reflective of that and number two are our our, um, activities reflecting those policies and procedures. So it's all about combining in Uh, those precautions and making sure they're embedded in our uh, policies and procedures. Equipment then is a model that we need to take a look at as part of this program. Um, Now, uh, again, a lot of work has already been done in relation to, to the vast majority of facilities in relation to this, but it's about reviewing the suitability, the effectiveness, and again, the achievement of those legislative requirements in relation to uh, your fire detection, your alarm systems, all of your firefighting equipment, emergency lighting, fire doors, electrical installations. And and many of those like the fire doors have standalone uh, statutory requirements. So we need to make sure that they're being implemented and they're effective. And again, if they're not, that we are identifying actions for our programme as we go out through through the year. It's very important that we have that full schedule of maintenance for fire safety equipment and that where issues are identified, as I said, they're going to be pulled out into this action plan that we're going to create for our annual fire safety management programme. Then we have to look at the resident. And I suppose, uh, obviously, central to our focus in relation to the resident needs. So is there anything additional we need to do from our fire safety approach? They're very much looking for a pre-admission assessment focus in relation to this, looking at the resident's uh, capacity, mobility, what are their equipment requirements from an upfront perspective, and then thinking about that in relation to application of their allocation of rooms, and what is their equipment going to be required for safe evacuation. So we're almost looking at developing that the, the PEPs at, at, at a, a pre-admission stage that we're starting to build up the knowledge that's required to ensure that we have an effective PEP. Um, So, as I said, looking at the suitability of bedrooms on that basis, and if there are any particular individual needs, um, are there any revisions required to fire precautions, any additional controls that we may need to put in place due to individual vulnerabilities. And I think it's very important that this rolls out when we look at the individual risk management plans for for individuals, that these vulnerabilities in relation to to risk for fire, uh, that they're incorporated into it. And a lot of individual risk management plans we talk about maybe particular focus on on smoking or or, into that regard, but we need to look at it from a broader perspective uh, for their vulnerabilities um, in relation to additional controls that may be required from an individual perspective. Um, it's a consideration to make to, to, to consider that within your contracts of care, you may need to consider putting in a section detailing that a resident may need to move bedrooms in the future if the mobility declines. Now I know that goes against the grain, and we want to ensure that people are allocated rooms and that becomes their home. But again, we, we have to consider the, the the proactive and reactive risk related to that, and whether if there is a requirement for evacuation we're going to be in a position to be able to support that individual depending on their location. So it's it's just something to consider in that regard. So rolling, as I said, from that, the the personal evacuation plans and the evacuation aids need to be considered um, in relation to uh, that, that those PEPs being quite robust, considering the ability of the resident to understand the sound of fire detection and the alarms, their ability to evacuate, what level of staff assistance they're going to need from both the daytime and nighttime perspective, what is the method of evacuation we're going to apply and the aids that we're going to utilize from a daytime or nighttime, and then what are the supervision requirements after it's been evacuated? So we just don't want to get them as far as the evacuation area, what are our considerations post that really important that our staff are trained in relation to those responses that are required because in many cases there are individual responses that are required so they need to be trained to do that but most vitally, that we are updating our peeps in line with the assessed needs of the dependency levels of residents in many cases it can be allocated uh, appointed at, at admission but they're not updated based on the changes in in the individual needs so it's really important that with that central focus we keep that up to date the evacuation strategy procedure and fire drill now this is a big chunky section of the overall program and it will be incorporated as part of it and it's certainly something that you're going to need the support of your competent individual. So the basis for the strategy or our overall approach to evacuation is going to have to come from that op- operational review because remember that operational review looked at all the legislation, the requirements and it look at the design and layout of our facilities. So from that we should be able to draw what our strategies should be. Um, and again, I mean, it, there's a number of approaches with this. And again, it has to be advised by your competent person about phased evacuations prem, full pr- and then the differences with the, with the entire evacuations, whether it's horizontal or vertical, the compartments and sub-compartments what is the staffing levels that's going to be required. Again, those evacuation needs of the residents, the travel distances between compartments and facility layout and restrictions. So you can see this is a very individualized process in relation to the strategy you're going to follow. So you're really going to need to draw on that expertise and support. The procedure then that falls out of that strategy, that's going to be the step-by-step description of the actions that staff have to implement if, should there be a, a fire emergency and evacuation required. Um, and this is really important that this procedure is reviewed and tested against those safe evacuation times to ensure that we can achieve them. When we have it developed, this will form part of our emergency response plan. Um, and it's really important that we have good visibility on this and that it's it's displayed beside fire detection alarm panels and staff areas. So our strategy our evacuation strategy should be clean, concise, and very, uh, specific, whereas I said, the strategy is a much uh, more considerate document of the, the appropriate approach. This is the output from that strategy. Again, the fire deal programme, that's going to need to be scheduled throughout the year. Um, it needs to be carried out obviously during different sh- shifts so that we can consider if we can still evacuate with the minimum number of staff that may be on duty. It's imperative that all staff participate in the fire drills, and if at all practical, that residents are at least given the opportunity to participate in drills if that is possible. From each fire drill, obviously there will be a fire drill report, and again, where we are found lacking in particular areas, those actions are going to again fall into this um, annual programme action list that we're going to look at in a couple of minutes. Staff training, and again, I know there's been a lot of advancement in relation to fire safety staff training, but it's important, again, the handbook has looked for a training needs analysis to be completed uh, periodically to ensure the staff have the most current up-to-date fire safety knowledge. They're looking for formal classroom training and opportunities for informal training or practical application of our fire safety approach. And again, They're looking for all of those staff members to be involved, including part-time, voluntary, temporary or agency staff, uh, both when they commence employment and at least once a year thereafter uh, to undertake that that process. So they're looking to ensure that the trainer is competent. Again, we're looking for certified trainers in this area specific uh, for the provision of fire safety training. There is a minimum training list and that's detailed in Chapter 4 of the Handbook and you can uh, get a chance to look through that for your mandatory training requirements on an ongoing basis. Coming then to the bottom which is supporting the entire program is the inspection audit and evaluation processes they expect to see in relation to fire safety. They're looking for routine, that's both daily and weekly inspections uh, conducted by your PSE or your director of nursing uh, throughout the facility. And the regular inspection and maintenance of the structural fabric of your buildings, the furniture, the fittings, uh, to ensure that they're safe to use and there's no increasing risk of fire in their, in their, in their use. They're looking for a comprehensive building inspection and maintenance plan, uh, which should be be developed and then detailed within that program. They're looking for a fire safety internal audit schedule and we're big fans of internal audit certainly in HCI but they're looking for fire safety to be incorporated into your internal audit schedule and rolled out on an ongoing basis and trying to bring as many people as possible into that auditing process. Where external inspections take place, any related fire safety findings must be considered by the senior management team and again any of non-conformances identified um, should be incorporated into the programme as required. So this programme, and and I'll talk to you about the templates that we have available within HCI, but it's really about pulling together all of the activities that we're doing in relation to fire safety within the organization so we recognize the requirement for a program uh, on an annual basis the rp or the uh, drafts that program with the support of the competent person and your your multidisciplinary risk management team that team then reviews and approves the program it's the actions that come from that, from all of the activities we've done, those actions that we know we need to to, to, to push through within our organisation are allocated to specific individuals. That program overall is communicated to all of our relevant stakeholders. We implement the program. There is an ongoing review required throughout the throughout the year, excuse me throughout the year. If changes arise, if there are changes required in relation to the program, that goes back up through it we implement it and we complete an annual report on the program in- implementation on an ongoing basis okay so is that there those blocks that we've looked at are all parts of that program but from the outset we need to set out our stall within that program and say this is all these are all of the things that we're going to do to try and embrace a fire safety culture as we move forward There is support available. We do have a number of, um, we have a fire safety management policy, an audit tool, a template for a fire safety program. Again, the content will have to be specific and individualized to your organization, but it would just lay out the structure of your program, what it should look like. And we've also developed a fire safety uh, risk assessment register. So, very like that risk register that I've shown you. Again, looking at listing. Uh, the areas of focus, looking at controls you may have in place, and then it's it's available for you to manipulate and, and, and try and, and work within it. But again, must be done in conjunction with your competent person. Rosemary will be delighted to know I have this slide in. This is about our bonanza that we have today. Is that what we call it, Matt Rosemary, of bonanza? So that you can purchase all four documents uh, for a reduced price today until, well, until the 14th of May. So those four uh, templates are currently would be the value of 415, uh, but it's now 250 euros. I mean, I don't know. They never put me in charge of finances anyway. I just do the background work. That's right, Rosemary. If you have any queries or questions anyway, Rosemary would be delighted to field any of your queries in that regard. So overall, I suppose what we want to look at, what we're, we're trying to consider is taking that fire safety program as an approach, looking at those singular blocks that we talked about today, considering what is the approach of our organization, where are we lacking and how can we drive out actions uh, that would be maintained within that program and reviewed on an ongoing basis so that we're ingraining the culture of fire safety within our organization. That was really a whistletop tour. As I said, that could take a day and a bit of full training if we got into the specifics and the detail of it. And I do apologize that it had to be quickly, run through quickly, but I wanted to make sure that you got as much uh, value for your your time because I know the time is very precious uh, and hopefully it will give you just an outline of the key areas of focus. I would say the handbook itself, as I said, it it took me a number of goals, a number of rattles at it until I could really get my head around it. And although each of the elements are are fine as a standalone, it's looking at how to build that whole process of implementation of a program and the elements within it. So if there's any particular questions, I'd be happy to field them. Um, or if I, I don't know if there's anything coming up on chats. Rosemary might be able to tell me if there's anything coming up on chats. Hi Una, can you hear me? I can hear you, Rosemary. Great. Um so the question in there from Trina. She's asking, um, do you have any visibility on when HICWA experts um expects this to be in place? I'm afraid I don't, um and I'd be worth a lot of money if I did, but um I, I, I don't, I think IPC is probably still at the forefront um, of a lot of the focuses in relation to it, but it's, it's, it is within the short term. I, I feel that there will be a push on it um, uh, because of the level of non-conformances that are coming through, even in the, the inspection reports that are being released quite recently. As I said, the focus is on IPC to a large degree, but there's certainly much more tempo coming up on the fire safety elements of it. So what we really want to try and do is get out ahead of it um, and show, I suppose, give them that feeling that when, when they do arrive in, that we're we we're knowledgeable about the Hanbrook and that we are engaging on approach. I mean, this is not something that you're going to be able to whack in within a month or so. It, it's, it's, a, it's a model that needs to have considered considerate approach. But really start to work on that governance model as soon as possible. You know, recognise the roles and responsibilities that are required incorporate them into those job descriptions, get them into the terms of reference for your teams and start to build up the knowledge that's required. Getting that operational review um, off the blocks as soon as possible is really, really important um, so that we can at least get an overview. I mean, knowledge is power. And if we know that there are particular weaknesses in our organization, we want to try and get those identified. And then we can start that action plan to start driving the improvements that are required in relation to it. So I'm afraid I don't have dates but that's all I can advise you in that regard. Any other ones Rosemary? Um, So Helen asked uh, do we need to have fire safety professionals in before we do anything? Well, that engagement of the fire safety professional is front and centre within the the handbook and as part, as as I advise there with that operational review, I I would, it, it, it is really mandatory to have somebody that has that competency and expertise in relation to fire safety because they will see the risks that, you know we wouldn't you know that they're coming from that background and they would have specific focus there's a lot of information um, and and uh, within our own risk register uh, template that we've provided even reading down through that you'll see okay did we consider that is that a risk so there is information there but as I said HICWA are very much driving the focus of engaging upfront um, a, a relationship with that contract professional to be able to support us in the most comprehensive and robust way. It's not always going to be possible that they'll be able to down tools, but they want to see at least an active engagement of moving towards that uh, in that regard. Okay. We have one more question then from Gavin. Um, So he asked, uh, does the Health Act take precedence over the Fire Safety Act? I note that they mention in the handbook a fire safety certificate is not sufficient. Well, the, the the Health Act should, yeah, absolutely take take precedence. Now, there is a big push on, as we all know from HICWA, uh, they're looking for updates to the legislative uh, uh, requirements that are there. So you can be sure that there's movement in that regard. Um, but what I would say is if the HICWA guidance, if the handbook looks for it, let's not try to let's not go to war in relation to it. So um, it's it's about trying to find that balance. That's obviously the way that they are moving. Um, if we wanted to go to the letter of the law, yes we have a position, but you know let's let's try and work with them than against them and, and and try and implement the most current um, information or the current um, guidance that's available to us in that regard. But I do have a point. Okay, is that it Rosemary? I'm sure there, as I said, we could be here now till it gets dark outside talking about this, but hopefully it has given you an insight to us. We're more than uh, willing to have further discussions with anybody who'd like to come and and have a chat to myself or Rosemary, um, if there are additional supports that we can provide you in that regard, or in the broader scheme of things, for your evidence-based policies and procedures. All of the other lovely tools that we have, I'm sure Rosemary does a lovely job on the website. All the little graphics uh, that 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 illustrated. But thank you very much for your time, everybody. I appreciate it, and uh, hopefully it is of use. Hopefully we will be back again next month with some more exciting information. And uh, So thank you very much, and have a have a lovely day.